0: The first time is Chirp Radio's live, lit, and music series, recorded at Martyrs in North Center. The theme this round was First Burn. Erin
1: Strick is a uh, nonprofit maven. She is, inst- you can see her, inst- is it Baderbot 3000? Baker bought 3000 She took some time off from storytelling and writing, but she's making her debut, re-debut now here on this stage. Very talented writer, speaker. Guys, Erin Strick, give it up. Just so you know, I feel like you stabbed me on the back, but I'm over it. These were the words of my new manager, Samantha. I sat across from her at a Thai restaurant a few blocks from her office at the University of Chicago. Um, it sounds like you aren't over it, though. (laughs) This painfully awkward and uncomfortable conversation was a month and a half into my two and a half years reporting to Samantha. I had met with our mutual boss, Bridget, a few days prior, asking for clarification on my role. What I interviewed for what wasn't the, what the position had become. Uh, Bridget seemed receptive, surprised even, to hear of this discrepancy. Talking to her seemed like a good idea. Uh, a way to redirect my role to what I wanted it to be. While I can never truly know what, what Bridget conveyed of our conversation to Samantha, Samantha was clearly upset. She sent me an email asking for us to go to lunch to discuss my meeting with Bridget. Prior to the lunch, she requested, send me your oats. Her autocorrect version of notes. (laughs) I did not send either. The lunch concluded, Samantha clearly relieved that she got to accost me for how terrible of a person and employee I was while I sat there, eating my Penang curry and feeling small. I didn't didn't forgive her, and I never really got over it. (laughs) Prior to reporting to Samantha, I had a lovely manager, Adam. He challenged me, respected me, and sought my incredibly junior and unnecessary opinion because he cared to see me grow. I was so fortunate to have him as my first real boss. And then came my first real burn of a boss, Samantha. (laughs) Samantha was an opportunist. When interviewing, I asked her about her management style. She responded, hands off. Later, when expressing confusion on my job description, she proclaimed that I was the first person she ever managed and I should, quote, give her a break. (laughs) I quickly began looking for a new job, but nothing made sense to me. Who would take me seriously? What did I want to do with my career? I was miserable in my role, but I had good colleagues. They would praise me for my growth and express gratitude for what I brought to the team, but nothing was ever good enough for Samantha. Every review was a list of my failures, criticism without the constructive part, and no mention of any of my successes. I'd try and fight for myself, but Samantha would say, stop trying to make excuses. Just accept that you're wrong. I know now that Samantha's treatment was abusive, uh, but when I tried to talk to HR about it, they shared that having a bad boss is what teaches you how to be a good boss. <laughs> now you know. Uh, and then on Monday, October nineteenth, 2013, I tripped while I was running, pitched forward, and hit my face. I didn't black out, so I thought I was okay. I even ran the two miles home. The next day, Tuesday, while meeting with Samantha, I struggled to put my words together to form a sentence. I finally admitted that I, that I had an accident. She asked me if I was okay, and I lied and said yes, and we continued the meeting. I didn't want to make excuses. On Wednesday, I felt insane. I felt like I was going to vomit due to anxiety and stress. I knew what I needed to do. I was training for the marathon, so I needed to go for a run. I got on the treadmill, started watching the nanny, and ran six miles. <laughs> After the run, my feet went numb. All I could manage was my fiancé spoon feeding me peanut butter as I lied in bed. And then on Thursday, I went to work. That morning, one of my best friends, Haley, uh, I told one of my best friends, Haley, the gist of the story and she ins- of my accident, and she insisted we go to the emergency room. I refused to go until the end of the workday. No excuses, right? The verdict was in I had a concussion. Under the orders of the ER doctors, I took a week off of work to recover. When I returned to the office, the first thing I heard in the morning was Samantha griping quite loudly to a colleague about how she had to do my work while I was out recovering deeply hurt but committed to resolving the issue, I informed Samantha that I had heard her complain. She told me I should have some sympathy for her because she was pregnant with her first child and it's either planning for the baby at home or at work and she's stressed out. And then, beyond Samantha's lack of empathy, the recovery from my concussion was awful. I certainly didn't do myself any favors by ignoring my concussion for as long as I did, but it didn't matter. My anxiety was absolutely through the roof. It turns out the way I hit my head injured my frontal lobe, which houses all of your reasoning. I got put on antidepressants and sent to therapy. In therapy, I would talk about Samantha. I would vent about her to family, friends, anyone who I thought could definitively say to me, this is wrong and I'm going to make it right. Plenty of people said the first part, but no one said the latter. July 19th, 2014, my husband Matt and I wed. At the end of our honeymoon, I sobbed. And then came the lowest part. When I returned to work after the honeymoon, Samantha informed me that she was getting promoted and was taking me with her to her new team. I had no choice in the matter. I was to assume Samantha's previous, responsibility, previous positions responsibilities, but I was not getting her previous title or pay. The following months blended into a cacophony of depression. The scrutiny that Samantha put me through, the sheer amount of disrespect that she had for my skill set, my knowledge, my ambition had worn me down. On this new team, I was the only girl that reported to Samantha. None of Samantha's male direct reports were diminished. That was saved especially for me. She would flirt with the guys and scowl at me. I was in my own lonely circle of hell. One day I found myself sitting in the bathroom, in a bathroom stall when I asked myself, what if it all just ended? And this was not a liberated, fuck this, I quit ending, no. It was a desire to make it all end. It wasn't a vision of running in front of a bus, but it was a desire to just disappear and be gone from this life. It didn't matter that I had just gotten married, that I had friends and family who loved me. I wanted to be relieved of this miserable job that had overtaken me. I didn't tell anyone about my suicidal thoughts. I couldn't tell my therapist because I had literally become the definition of danger to myself. I feared the second I even alluded to the whiff of su- suicide, my therapist would stop the session, put me in an ambulance, and send a note to my husband, Matt, saying I was, quote, getting the help I needed. <laughs> I didn't want that help. I was afraid of that help because I was afraid of the excuse. Eventually, thankfully, though, I got a final interview. I was so nervous that I didn't eat breakfast or lunch before the 11 a.m. interview. To prevent fainting during the three hour long interview, I probably took one too many bathroom breaks to eat the almonds that I had jammed into my suit pockets. (laughs) When I left, I felt good and confident. I sat down to a burger, cheese fries, and milkshake at Shake Shack and called my mom to say that I finally saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I got the job and I got out. I'm, I still have more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on my final day, Samantha's new manager, Colleen, asked me to meet to share my experience. My review of the position and Samantha was decorous, but by no means glowing. Colleen thanked me for the candor. Samantha did not. <laughs> I could tell she was pissed because she was avoiding me. 5 p.m. struck, I packed my things, and as luck would have it, we ran into each other in the hallway. She gave me an exasperated, good luck, (laughs) which I'm sure she found to be the perfectly biting comeuppance. But unlike the last two and a half years of my life, I didn't care. I was feeling the sheer bliss that I no longer had to worry about Samantha looming over me. I was free as I walked dreamily to my car carrying my box full of shit, <laughs> <laughs> a stranger stopped me to say the most genuine, sincere, sincere statement I had heard that day Hey, good luck. Thank you. <laughs>
0: kind of places make it seem like it's been ages tomorrow's sun with buildings scrape the sky I love this country dearly I can feel the ladder clearly but never thought I'd be alone to fly once I was outside Penn Station selling red and white carnations you were still alone my wife and I before we married, saved my money, brought my dear wife over, Now I want to bring my family stateside, but on the boat they stayed a while and scattered across the coast, but once a year I see them for a week or so, or most I took a walk isn't perfect with the market cuts a loss i remind myself that times could be much worse my wife won't ask me questions and there's not so much to ask I she'll never flutter around an empty purse once my lover-in-law came just to stay a couple nights and decided she would stay the rest of her life I watch my little children play some board game in the kitchen, and I sit and pray they never feel my strength. And then my partner called to say the pension funds were gone, and made some bad investments, and the cons are overdrawn. I took a walk. Sun, they got living just too much. We had taxes, we had bills, we had a lifestyle to front. Tonight, I swear, I'll come home and we'll make love like we're young. And Tomorrow, you cook dinner for the neighbors and the kids. We can pull apart the socialists and all their damn taxes. You see, I am.